Welcome into the Tuesday show about the South. We are the Y'all Show. John Rawl, the general of all things Southern. Glad to be back here. I'll be your moderator for the next few hours as we walk through what's going on news-wise across the region, what's going on food-wise across Dixie. Also, we've got on today's Y'all Show plenty of entertainment news. We've got book news as one of the diggers has written a book, and we're going to tell you all about counting the costs that Jill Duger has penned. You know the Dugers, the show that they had like 500 kids. We'll tell you about this new book that is out, her memoir, as she was recently interviewed on ABC. We'll have that in our second hour of today's Y'all Show, plus Taylor Swift and Beyonce news. Taylor getting even more news these days, thanks to her showing up at NFL football games. We'll have all that in our second hour as we have entertainment headlines. And we have in our third hour, the Takapola Storyteller is going to be back. Jerry Short will be here. And if you've ever thought about going to airborne school, if you've ever thought about signing up for the United States military and getting your jump wings, Jerry's going to walk us through what that really means as he has jumped out of a plane a whole bunch as part of the airborne and special forces training that he's had while serving in the United States military. So airborne in hour number three, when the Takapola storyteller comes by and talks about getting high legally, that is that's coming up. Plus we've got our Southern recipe of the day in our final hour. And with fall's arrival, are y'all starting to see a lot more leaves on the ground? Don't ask me why I wasn't drunk when I came up with this idea but it kind of hit me what kind of leaves are out there that now that they're falling down are there leaves that we can eat like off of trees not off of plants and we love our good collard leaves and turnip leaves and all those things but what about off of a tree so thanks to the website nutritionstudies.org in our final hour we're going to go and look at eating tree leaves <laughs> save up make sure you're hungry when we get to that section of the y'all show today in our final hour all that is coming up plus plenty of political talk here in hour one we've got some law enforcement unfortunate tragic news coming out of knox county in tennessee we'll get to that headline in a second if you'd like to get involved with the y'all show easy to do we've got our text line available 24 7 615 208-4184 and then you can email us anytime our email address here at the show about the south is m-a-i-l mail at y-a-l-l dot com mail at y'all dot com would love love to hear from all y'all okay let's uh let's welcome you in thank you for coming on board as we got this busy tuesday show planned for you and we're going to have a good time doing it. Unfortunately, we've got tragic news to lead off our headlines today. And this comes to us from Knox County in East Tennessee, where a Knox County Sheriff's Office deputy, 29-year-old deputy Tucker Blakely, has been killed in the line of duty, shot while responding to a domestic call in the Hardin Valley area of Knox County. And that call came in on Sunday evening. Deputies responded to the 3200 block of Denver Lane when they were encountered in an armed encountered an armed individual at a residence. According to the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, preliminary information indicates that shots were fired by both the individual and at least one of the deputies. And unfortunately, 29-year-old Deputy Tucker Blakely was killed in the line of duty. 
I believe the perpetrator in this also died at the scene. The sheriff of Knox County, Tom Spangler, said, I want to make it clear that Officer Blakely is a hero. He lived as a hero, and he died a hero. Blakely graduated from the Knox County Sheriff's Office Regional Training Academy just a few years ago in November of 2021. Officer Blakely survived by his wife and five-year-old son. His brother, Ty Blakely, is the mayor of Maynardsville, Tennessee. Again, a Knox County, Tennessee deputy losing his life in the line of duty Sunday evening. Our thoughts to everybody in Knox County and around the Knoxville area for this tragic law enforcement news from Tennessee. want to let you know about some stories involving members of our Congress. As on Monday, Henry Kuehler was, har- was carjacked in Washington, D.C. As he was carjacked, this Texas congressman carjacked by three armed attackers. Now, luckily, he was unharmed, and a statement came out from his chief of staff saying, as Congressman Culler was parking his car Monday evening, three armed assailants approached the congressman and stole his vehicle. Luckily, he was not harmed and is working with local law enforcement. Later, police recovered the congressman from Texas's law, uh, his, his vehicle. He's a Texas Democrat. And the Washington Post reported that the robbery happened in Washington's Navy Yard area, which is about a mile from the Capitol. And that assault on this Texas congressman follows earlier this year, another Democratic congressman, Angie Craig of Minnesota, was assaulted in her apartment building. She escaped serious injury there. And we've just got a wave of attacks now, it appears, on our members of Congress in Washington, D.C. And if I can weigh in here, I don't think these attacks are politically motivated. I just think Washington, D.C. is a very unsafe place. I think Washington, D.C., if I can be so bold, is a disaster as a city. It's an absolute disaster. We have, maybe it ties into being a capital, we actually have several capital cities in this country that are absolute disasters. They really are. Do I need to start rattling them off? Okay, thank you, I will. These are state capitals. But we have such a disaster in Washington, D.C., we really should think about moving the capital to somewhere a little bit more safe. Put it in a cotton field or a soybean field somewhere in Iowa. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. How pathetic our nation's cap. What an embarrassment for the leading country in the world to have such a disaster of a capital city. Now, State capital-wise, if you want me to go down the list, let's see here. Alabama's got Montgomery. Montgomery's not a saint by any means. Good Lord, people getting beat up off of boats in Montgomery here recently. We saw that headline. Yeah, it's probably time to move the capital of Alabama somewhere else. Somewhere around Birmingham wouldn't be a bad idea. That would be good. Arkansas, I don't have much bad to say about Little Rock. I guess we can keep that there. Florida's capital city of Tallahassee seems like a nice place. I think everything, for the most part, I mean, most Floridians would say we need to move that thing more like to Orlando just from a geographic standpoint and a population center standpoint. 
But I do like the fact that it's in sort of a southern area, southern culturally area of Florida. So let's, I'm for keeping it there in Tallahassee. Georgia, <laughs> yeah, it, it needs to be moved. There's nothing like Fulton County anywhere in the rest of Georgia. And so, yes, Georgia, I'm in favor of moving the capital. Let's move it back to Milledgeville, which is where it was before it moved to Atlanta. That's more Georgia-like. So, yes, let's move that capital. Atlanta's a scary city. Atlanta is a city full of criminals. Let's move it. Kentucky? Hey, Frankfurt? Come on now. Have you ever been to Frankfurt, Kentucky? Probably not. I, I, I'd say let's move it out of Kentucky to somewhere different. You know, you think of Kentucky and race horse racing. You can't really move it to places like Lexington because... Well, you just can't. But you can move it to Keeneland. So let's move the state capital of Kentucky to Keeneland. Or perhaps where I just was over the weekend, and that was in Grand Rivers, Kentucky. Let's move the capital of Kentucky to Patty's 1880 Settlement. Yummy. Love that pork chop. (laughs) Uh, Louisiana, Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge has its problems. I think they should move the state capital of Louisiana just specifically to the LSU campus, and then that would make everybody... Louisiana happy. Maryland's capital is fine where it is. Annapolis is a great little city. Mississippi, now that is a state that definitely should move its capital. Jackson, just like Washington, D.C., is an absolute disaster. They can't even get drinking water in Jackson, Mississippi. There is not a Walmart in the city limits of Jackson, Mississippi, the largest city of the state, by the way. That's pretty pathetic. So, yes, they should move the capital of Mississippi soon. I'm going to recommend just to kind of keep it in central Mississippi. Perhaps they could move it to, hmm, how about Germantown, which is just north of Jackson. Either there or perhaps Ridgeland would be a nice area to have the state capital just off of Interstate 50, 55 there. Or they could move it to Mississippi City, which is where it almost ended up, where well, actually where the University of Mississippi almost ended up, which is on the coast of Mississippi next to Gulfport is this little community called Mississippi City. That would be a great place. How about a state capital right on the Gulf of Mexico? That's a great idea. Except when a hurricane comes through. <laughs> Let's see here. Missouri? Springfield, Missouri? Nah, I'm fine with that. I've never been. Have y'all been to Springfield? You kind of have to be wanting to go there. It's not on a big interstate. But it, I'm sure it suits Missouri residents just fine. North Carolina's capital of Raleigh, I, I guess it's fine. Um, I personally would rather see it around Charlotte, which would be way out of the way for most North Carolinians to go to their state capital. But I like me some Charlotte. Yeah. Maybe we'll put it in Concord by the Charlotte Motor Speedway would be a good place for the state capital of North Carolina. Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, I'm sure that's a lovely place. I've been through there briefly. We'll keep it there. That's a good compromise. Then you come to South Carolina and Columbia, the state capital there. You know, Columbia is a city that could easily be right there in the mix of the terrible cities the the terrible capital cities the state capital put in Columbia to be centrally located on the banks of the Congaree River and Columbia has really been going down in, in, in past decades but I'm not really I'm not really 
to, to, to throw Columbia out there in that congaree and let it float down on down to the Atlantic. I think there's hope in Columbia, and things are starting to turn around. So let's not quite pack up South Carolina State Capitol and move it to Monk's Corner, okay? Let's just give it a, a little bit more time. Tennessee's capital of, of Nashville. Love Nashville, but man, Nashville's getting wacko. I wouldn't say Nashville's getting crazy, but it's getting wacko. They just, on Tuesday, no, it was Monday, they swore in their new officials. They have a new, extremely left-wing mayor of Nashville. They have Tennessee's first openly transgender member of government now on the on the Metro Council in Nashville. Nashville is a bizarre city. It is time to move the state capital out of Nashville. Who is going to sign up? I'm going to choose Bell Buckle. That would be a great place to have a state capital. Bell Buckle down Interstate 24, sort of on the way to Chattanooga from Nashville. That would be, that'd be good. Of course, I love Franklin. Wonderful place. And if none of those places work, you know, a section of Tennessee that hardly ever gets attention is West Tennessee. So why don't we move perhaps the state capital to hmm, Mercer, Tennessee. Check that out. Great restaurant there if you have a chance to go there. And and more people might show up there via boat on the Hatchie River <laughs> than coming there on, on the roads. Last time I was in Mercer, I got... I got attacked by about eight bandits. Now, I was in my car, so it wasn't that scary. And those eight bandits on that country road that attacked me were raccoons. Man, the raccoons everywhere in that section of West Tennessee. Just just be advised. All right, let me hurry up with the rest of these states. Texas is capital of Austin. You talk about a wacko place. Austin, Texas is wacko. Absolutely need to move it out of Texas, the capital there. I'm going to suggest, um, how about Cut and Shoot, Texas? Not far from College Station. What a cool name. That'd be a great name for a state capital. Absolutely move it to Cut and Shoot, Texas. Then you got Virginia. Richmond is a disaster. I say move it out of Richmond. I love Lexington, Virginia, home of VMI. Go Keydets. Yes, Lexington, Virginia would be a great state capital. And then lastly, West Virginia. Charleston is the state capital. I'm fine with Charleston. So there you have it. I have gone off on state capitals and our nation's capital, recognizing that several of these capitals are absolute disasters. And how could a state and or a nation have such an embarrassment of a state capital or capital city of our country as we currently have? And all this stems from the fact that on Monday, a second congressman in our nation's capital has something violent happened to him, carjacked Henry Kuehler of Texas, carjacked Monday. Thankful he's, thankfully, he's okay. Matt Gates is sort of hijacking the media and hijacking the nation's attention this week as the Florida congressman, officially on Monday, rose in the chamber of the U.S. House to file an official motion to oust Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker. Now, the question is, is he going to have enough support when and if, well, I guess it won't be a question of if, when this gets before the chamber and people get a chance to vote, is Kevin McCarthy going to lose his spot as Speaker of the House? But there will be a referendum on his leadership in a few days. 
and Matt Gates of Florida of the Panhandle is pushing this. I had a chance to watch an interview Monday evening of one of Matt Gates's constituents, at least in the past. I don't know if he's still a constituent. I don't know officially where his residence is, but it was Mike Huckabee. Mike Huckabee has lived on the Florida Gulf Coast around Destin. I think technically he lived in Miramar. Miramar Beach, I believe, is technically where Mike Huckabee has lived. And he mentioned that he has had, on two occasions, fundraisers at his own house for Matt Gates because Matt Gates was running for Congress. And Mike Huckabee, at his Florida house, hosted Matt Gates and raised money for him personally. And Gates came by and attended those fundraisers. So they have a personal connection. But on Monday, when I saw Huckabee being interviewed, he was not a fan of this trick that Matt Gates is pulling. He thinks it's not a good good idea. It's only going to hurt. And so we'll find out how hurtful this is for Republicans now that Matt Gates officially filing the motion to have a vote on whether Kevin McCarthy is going to continue as Speaker of the House. We have more headlines from across the Southeast that we're going to get to when we come back. And in fact, we've got more news out of Congressman in Washington, D.C., the latest on Jamal Bowman. He's not from the South, but boy, he's saying some nasty things about Republicans after Bowman over the weekend pulled a fire alarm and a Georgia congressman did a great job outlining how ridiculous it was that he pulled that fire alarm. I'll explain when we come back also out of the state of Georgia. Six Flags Over Georgia, the theme park just to the west of downtown Atlanta. A worker there has died after falling out of a van during a Fright Fest event. We'll bring you the story from Atlanta for that. Plus, uh, because we've now reached the month of October in the state of Florida, the minimum wage rose. And I'm going to tell you about minimum wage rates across the southeast. How does your state stack up? Plus, in our headlines today... The Army is launching an overhaul of recruiting as they're having a lot of shortfalls. So if you are listening to this and you want a challenge, head on down to your local recruiter and see if you've got what it's made, what you got uh, is, is what the Army needs. The Army wants you, or should we say the Army wants y'all. <laughs> I'd sign up. I, I mean, I have no problem getting yelled at i have no problem with pt as long as i don't uh keel over i we we have a real real shortfall in our nation's military we'll talk about that as we continue on with our headlines today after this break also want to remind you in this opening hour of the y'all show we've got our southern political report we've got news on donald trump from monday what he did and more on that matt gates dust up if you will in congress what's going on with him all that is ahead as the Y'all Show for this Tuesday continues. Again, if you want to be involved, we have our text line available right now at 615-208-4184. Hang on. We'll be right back with more headlines.
his name either don or harold they were brothers we're back on the y'all show and the statler brothers helping us as we continue on we got more news headlines let's catch up with a couple of texts that have come in to us here at the show all about the south texter says as a, we were talking in the previous segment about how terrible some of our capitals both our nation's capital and state capitals are texter says that washington dc has had double the carjackings this year over last year I'll have to take your guess on that. I don't know for myself. Texter also says, I never realized how bad Jackson, Mississippi was till I talked to folks who live outside of there. It's a toilet. You know, I think you might be right on that. And they need to flush it on down the Pearl River as it flows right there in the state capital of Mississippi. As I said, they should move that thing. They should move the capital of Mississippi just up the interstate, maybe over to Ridgeland or perhaps to... Germantown, which is a nice little section of the Jackson area. Or better yet, I was just thinking about this. How about move it to the Barnett Reservoir, which is a gigantic body of water to the northeast of Jackson. And uh, how about a state capital on a big old fishing lake? Now, that would be something special, wouldn't you think? That would be a real boon to tourism for sure, to have a state capital where you can go fishing nonstop. That would draw in people from all over the country. And the Barnett Reservoir is a big body of water. Perfect for a state capital. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's my recommendation there for Mississippi. I appreciate those texts. Texter also sending us something to help me with my pronunciation. Pronunciation is evidently I have butchered one of our headlines of the day talking about the congressman from Texas who was attacked by three armed robbers and his car stolen and I butchered his name, evidently. It's Henry, according to the texter, texter from Texas. This congressman, his last name is pronounced Quayar. Henry, I, I may have said something completely wrong. Henry Quayar, okay? So thank you for that. Thank you for that help. Look, this is a tough job when we have people's names that may be a little bit unusual, and I need all the help I can get. So I really appreciate you taking the time to help me out, ride shotgun with me, and help me out with Henry Cuellar, the congressman from Texas whose car got stolen Monday in Washington, D.C. <laughs> All right, let's move on to other headlines across the Southeast today. Let's talk about Cuellar's fellow Democrat and congressman, and that is Jamal Bowman. I know how to pronounce his name. Bowman over the weekend is the congressman who went and pulled the fire alarm. This is a guy who is a Democrat. They were debating Saturday 
over this possible continuing resolution. And this congressman from, I think he's from New York State, decided to pull the fire alarm to help delay a vote or something like that. And it caused people to go scramble for about an hour. And emergency vehicles had to come out to Congress as the fire alarm was going off. And now this Democratic congressman is changing his tune about pulling that fire alarm. And here's what he said on Monday, trying to distance himself from his own office's talking points about that fire alarm debacle, as he's now the congressman claiming that Republicans should deal with Nazi colleagues before they start criticizing him. The lawmaker said it was inappropriate to refer to Republican lawmakers as Nazis amid political back and forth over his setting off a Capitol Hill fire alarm. But yes, that's what he evidently put out on social media was the term Nazi, and he later goes back and tries to clarify his use of it on social media. But what a dumb move. This is a guy who had been a principal for about 10 years teaching little kids. You reckon they had fire drills when Principal Bowman was in charge? Now, I saw a video that the great Marjorie Green put out <laughs> Monday, and she shares an office building with her fellow congressman from New York, Jamal Bowman. And Marjorie Green did this pretty neat little video. I probably should pull it up real quick. Let me see if I can't easily find this thing. Because, look, she might be a little bit on the wacko side on some things, but you got to give this Georgia congressman credit. She's not afraid to, to speak her mind. She definitely does that. Now, a lot of people say she doesn't need to speak her mind. She's she's a bad, bad actor, if you will. Um, like I said, she took the time to do a real up-close-and-personal explanation of how in the world this guy did what he did over the weekend, and, and she did a whole walkthrough. She walked and showed you up close and personal how this guy pulled the fire alarm and there was no mistaking this was a fire alarm button that he pushed. Not the button you push to open up the doors to let you out. So I, I've got this video again that her office put out Monday and uh, if you don't mind, this is about three minutes long. Let's go in and hear Marjorie Green of Georgia talking about this infamous fire alarm deal and how Jamal Bowman completely has made a fool of himself by trying to backtrack on this thing. Here's the one and only Marjorie Green, y'all. Hi, everyone. We're at the infamous door where Jamal Bowman claims he had to pull a fire alarm to get out. Now, these doors are open on weekdays. Every member of Congress knows that. Everybody that works here knows that. But on Saturdays and Sundays, they are locked, and only certain doors are open on Saturdays and Sundays. Now, come on over here. This right here is a fire alarm. Nowhere does it say, pull the fire alarm to open the exit door. Doesn't say that, and I think ex-middle school principals know better. Let me show you how we go when we need to go vote. I know this because my office is in here in Cannon Building. Come on, go this way.
She's walking through Congress. I'll help narrate this thing. It's a pretty neat little video. You can find it at Forbes Breaking oh, News. Look, there's stairs. She should go into comedy when this is all over. From her account, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Dash Green is where you'll find this video in its original By the form. Way, we had to use the stairs to evacuate the Cannon Building after Jamal Bowman pulled the fire alarm. <laughs> ouch. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Feisty thing. You know, she used to build houses, Marjorie Green. Here's where you have an option. As members of Congress, we can continue to go down the stairs this way. And you can go in the basement, and we can walk in the tunnel that goes under the road to the Capitol. We do that all the time, especially if the weather's bad. Or you can come around this way. That says exit. It exits out on New Jersey. This one is open all the time, not just some of the time, all the time. So let's explain very clearly again. Jamal Bowman didn't pull the fire alarm to try to get out of the building because he had to rush to go vote. I know that for a fact because I also work in the Cannon Office Building, and I watched Catherine Clark, the Democrat whip make a motion to adjourn, and then within minutes, Jamal Bowman pulled a fire alarm, and he knew he was pulling a fire alarm because he's a former middle school principal, and then he ran out of the building and didn't tell anybody he did that, and this building was evacuated for over an hour, and Congress had to hold the vote open that's usually only 15 minutes on the first vote. They held it open for over an hour as well. There's some serious problems for Jamal Bowman, and he needs to be prosecuted for violating the same federal law that they are prosecuting January 6th defendants and President Trump. All right. Marjorie Green of Georgia, in a way only she could do, give you a self-guided tour and an explanation of how Congressman Bowman had no business pulling that fire alarm from Saturday, and it caused some uneasiness if you will and she's pushing for Bowman to be prosecuted and so is the man at Mar-a-Lago remember that that's where I first heard about this thing is whenever Trump over the weekend on his truth social account said that this guy should be <laughs> however Trump explained it you know with Trump you you don't know by the way Trump is back in New York City in a courtroom today We'll, we'll, I'll tell you what, let's take a break and come right back and segue, now that Marjorie Taylor has helped us do this, we're going to segue from headlines to our Southern Political Report for the week, and I'm going to tell you more about Matt Gates. that's Marjorie Green's buddy, we'll tell you about him and some other goings on, and we'll give you the latest poll numbers as we continue on on this Tuesday Y'all Show, again. Would love to hear from you. Drop us an email anytime, mail at y'all.com. We will be right back. I promise you, no more Marjorie Green clips today, okay? But boy, isn't she fun to listen to and explain. I don't want to get on her bad side. We'll be right back.
looking at pictures I didn't want to see They brought back memories You look happy, I guess Got the life that you wanted But it ain't with me You would think by now That I wouldn't care It's been a couple years And yeah, I've had my share Of other broken up hearts But I only shed real tears over ours Now I'm in this cold bright light And this don't even feel like life Cause I don't have the only woman who believed in me religiously And now I'm in the back of the church Praying just to stop the hurt Cause I don't have the only woman who was there for me religiously That's the number one song in all of America right now. That is Bailey Zimmerman and Religiously. We're back on the Y'all Show, winding down our opening hour of this Tuesday show. Appreciate you tuning us in. For those of you who catch us each and every day on the radio, thank you so much. We love having you tune in and make time for your dose of Dixie. And for those of you who catch us in podcast form as we're available in iTunes, on Apple iTunes, as well as Apple Podcasts, and then we're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and we're also on the TuneIn app. Just search for The Y'all Show, and we're right there waiting your free download. You can also find us at y'all.com, the official website of The Y'all Show, and it's the homepage of the entire South. So if you haven't been to y'all.com, you're missing out, okay? Because we got all kind of great stuff there and more coming to y'all.com. Let's wrap up this first hour of the Y'all Show with a little political talk. We've been having a lot of political talk on today's show for whatever strange reason. I guess that's the topic of the day. But this is political slash legal talk as on Monday, Donald Trump was in a Manhattan courtroom as he's facing this civil case against him and his company, the Trump company, and Trump started his day attacking the judge in the case and the New York Attorney General, also Letitia James. Trump in Manhattan for this case. In fact, he's back there today. Surprising to me that he would go to get to uh, the second day. But Trump going after Judge Arthur Ingeron, who ruled last week that Trump and his co-defendants were liable for fraud. And in the courtroom, the attorneys for Trump Monday went up against the judge as opening statements began and I don't know how long this is going to keep going some people said this case here might go on for months but the Attorney General Letitia James she was also there in the background and Trump was very let's just say he didn't hold back he called her a racist on Monday and if you go back and watch the video of Letitia James I wouldn't say it was a racist attack against Trump before she was ever elected Attorney General of the Empire State, but she certainly had a vendetta against him and used him as the example of why she should be elected Attorney General. And it worked. She said she's coming after him. And you know what? She is coming after him. And so, in fact, Monday, her office made clear that it plans to go for the jugular and the attorney for Letitia James, Kevin Wallace, is ur- urging Judge Orgeron to bar Trump 
from doing business in New York, the state that he's from, the state he started his Trump company in, and now he's trying to get him kicked out of New York. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, one thing, I don't have all the details of the case, don't want to know all the details. I don't know if this is part of their strategy, Letitia James's office, but at least on TV, I have not heard a lot of people coming and doing interviews about how Trump ripped them off. Now, he is uh, accused in this particular case of inflating his wealth to get better loans and to affect his insurance rates. But what kind of people routinely are showing up and talking about how Trump is a fraud and he's a fraud because he did this to me? He robbed me. He stole. He took. There are people out there, I'm sure, but I'm not seeing them. So what's Trump done business-wise that's not all that different from any business? Isn't the point of business to make money and to keep money from going to other people that you don't want it to go to? Isn't that also a deal of paying taxes? Who wants to give more tax money than you should or that you have to? And so Trump's gotten a lot of attention for his shady tax situations, but I don't think he broke any law. He just had crafty accountants that knew how to save him a couple of hundred million dollars. And I say to Trump, good on you for that. But this case, again, going on currently for Trump is a civil case. We'll find out how much meat it has as we go forward. But as Letitia James of New York says, she's going for the jugular. She's going to take him out. At least she's going to take the Trump organization out of New York State. And if I were Trump, I'd say, good riddance, New York. But let me at least keep that beautiful Trump Tower in Manhattan with the, the gold and all the gaudiness that it has. Matt Gates says, stay tuned on his effort to oust Kevin McCarthy. But at least we're not sure if he's going to be successful. Matt Gates, the Florida congressman, Monday officially filing a motion to oust Kevin McCarthy as speaker. McCarthy responded with, bring it on. And then, I mean, they're getting into online Twitter wars or X wars. It's kind of sophomoric. After McCarthy put out there, bring it on, Gates responded with a post of his own, said, just did. A vote to oust McCarthy would require a majority of the members of Congress to choose to do so, and that would mean a lot of Democrats choosing to oust McCarthy. Matt Gates is a charming guy. I saw his interview just after he filed this thing. He ran out to the steps of the Capitol and talked to lots of reporters and man is he good with the words he just might be completely helping to destruct Republicans at this point I don't know he might be helping if you're a conservative Republican you've got to like Matt Gates. he's got kahunas and that's a good thing in Washington D.C. there's a lot of people out there who don't and I just said a word that I'm not sure I'm supposed to say but uh, he's got moxie that's what I probably should have said better. Let's give you, as we wrap up this hour of political talk, a little bit of the Real Clear Politics poll averages. Trump with a commanding national lead over DeSantis, 56 to 13 right now in the Real Clear Politics poll. 
Haley has moved up to nearly 7%. And then Ramaswamy is right around 5% on the Real Clear Politics national average. And a potential Trump-Biden contest? Trump has pulled out in front in a general election theoretical matchup with Joe Biden. Trump at 45, Joe Biden at 44, according to Real Clear Politics. That's pretty big. Biden has leads over DeSantis, but Nikki Haley has a 45 to 41 lead over Joe Biden. our fun about what's going on across the south on this tuesday we are y'all powered by y'all.com and in this hour we got more headlines we've got a tragic death at six flags in atlanta to tell you about also we've got our book report coming your way this hour and i'm going to let you know about the new book from one of the doogers remember that 16 or 19 kids and whatever number it got up to and counting show well, Jill Duger has penned the new book, Counting the Cost, and we'll tell you about that. It's actually one of the top bestsellers, according to the New York Times list, and I'm going to walk through that list and include Duger talk on today's Y'all Show book report, and we'll actually go into an interview that Duger did with ABC's Juju Chang. So we've got that coming up as part of our book report here, and before this hour is in the books, And that was a pun intended, by the way. (laughs) We've got an entertainment report to tell you about. More Taylor Swift news. So, Swifties, you better hit record on this hour because we're going to be talking about your gal. That plus Beyonce also in some entertainment news. Plus, we'll let you know about Brad Paisley, the country music singer, the West Virginian. And he's doing something to help out his native Appalachia. So, we'll be letting you know about all this entertainment news here in our second hour. And before today's show is a wrap, we've got Jerry Short, the Takapola storyteller, dropping by in hour number three to talk about Airborne. Airborne, you dirty, nasty leg. We've got that coming up in hour three. So stay tuned for plenty of great Southern conversation. To get involved, you are welcome to text us. We have our text line open at 615-208-4184 or you can email us as we have our email address also available for you to reach out to us whether you're catching us live on the radio and or you're catching us via the podcast option you can email either way through the through the email at mail at yall.com mail at y'all.com then you got that text line also available to you so Looking forward to hearing from you if you've got something you want to pass along or if you've got some criticism of what we say, that's certainly welcome here. Or if you want to correct me, that's certainly welcome. Or you just need to share a recipe. 
that is certainly certainly welcome in fact today in our final hour before we get out of here today we have some food talk to get to as we're going to be telling you how you can eat some leaves seriously we're going to talk about eating leaves in our final hour so right there take it or leave it or should i say take it or leaf it (laughs) that's all coming up on today's y'all show let's pick up with the news headlines of the day and our top story comes to us from knox county in east tennessee where unfortunately a member of law enforcement of knox county has been killed in the line of duty 24 rather 29 year old deputy tucker blakely was killed while responding to a domestic disturbance call in the hardin valley area of knox county sunday and he was shot there unfortunately he has lost his life the sheriff of knox county tennessee tom spangler put a statement out saying i want to make it clear that officer blakely is a hero he lived as a hero and he died a hero blakely graduated from the knox county sheriff's office regional training academy in november of 2021 officer blakely survived by his wife and five-year-old son our thoughts to everybody in knoxville and to the knox county sheriff's office after the loss of 29-year-old deputy tucker blakely elsewhere in our headlines across the south today from washington dc a congressman from texas henry quayar was carjacked by three armed attackers about a mile away from the capitol the texas democrat is okay as the idiots stole his car luckily he got his car back and he was not harmed but police did recover quayar's vehicle later in the evening the robbery happened in washington's navy yard area and it was the second time this year that an assault has happened on a member of congress in washington dc angie craig of minnesota was assaulted in her apartment building back in february so we've got some major issues going on luckily for henry quayar he's okay in washington dc today all eyes on kevin mccarthy he's trying to block matt gates's motion that he filed monday to oust him as speaker of the house today on capitol hill republicans are huddling democrats are huddling and hmm it's just going to be a crazy situation i've got a quote here from mccarthy it says if you throw a speaker out that kept the government open i think you're in a really bad place that's what kevin mccarthy is saying here today did he really keep the government that much alive i mean come on they put a band-aid on a on a bleeding sore why can't they just get this stuff figured out that's one of the reasons i I listened to that matt gates press conference from monday where he came out on the steps of the capitol and talked about his decision to file this motion to oust mccarthy and a big big reminder and a big big push of his justification for kicking mccarthy out was that mccarthy sent people away from washington dc back a few months ago when they could have been hanging out trying to solve this whole government 
budget thing and not having to go to a government shutdown potentially that they he gave them weeks of time away from congress when they could have been working that's gates's justification or a big part of his justification for getting rid of kevin mccarthy what do y'all think i'd like to know i would like to know. just hit us up on our ways of reaching out to us here at the y'all show Moving on to some non-political news here on this Tuesday edition. A Villarica woman, age 43, Andrea Crook, has died in Atlanta after being injured at Six Flags over Georgia. She was a worker there, and they have this Fright Fest event, and Crook died after she fell out of a van and hit her head at Six Flags over Georgia. She was treated at the scene, but then taken to Grady Memorial Hospital in downtown Atlanta. Unfortunately, this worker did not survive her injury. Yeah, I guess Six Flags goes all out for Halloween, like a lot of attractions do this time of year, and they've got this Fright Fest. And I don't think this was necessarily work-related, not really sure, but details still to come on this worker from Six Flags over Georgia losing her life on Monday. With the arrival of October, if you're a Florida worker and you're getting minimum wage, well, guess what? You just now got a dollar raise on your paycheck as Florida's minimum wage went up to $15 an hour. Back in 2020, Florida voters approved a measure that would raise the minimum wage by a dollar each year until it reaches $15. I'm sorry. You're not quite there. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's going to be $15, but it won't be until September 30th of 2026. So Floridians now getting well above the federal minimum wage of $7.25. And so the current minimum wage of Florida, it looks like, is around $13 an hour. Now, what is the minimum wage of your state? Again, if the federal minimum wage of $7.25 is out there, there are states who've taken it upon themselves to have a higher wage, but some states have no minimum wage law, like Alabama. So in Alabama, the minimum wage is $7.25. Arkansas, it's $11 an hour. We told you about what Florida's is. How about Georgia? This can't be right. They've got down for Georgia $5.15 per hour. That's below the federal minimum wage. I don't know. I'm going to have to double check another source on this. Kentucky's minimum wage is $7.25 an hour. Louisiana has no minimum wage law, which means seven twenty-five. In the state of Maryland, as expected, it's thirteen dollars and twenty-five cents per hour for employers with more than fifteen employees, and if you have less than fifteen, it's twelve eighty an hour in Maryland. In the state of Mississippi, there is no minimum wage law. Missouri's minimum wage is twelve dollars per hour. North Carolina is seven twenty-five an hour. Oklahoma, seven twenty-five an hour minimum wage. South Carolina has no minimum wage law. And 
I don't see Tennessee listed for some reason. Texas, 725. I'm surprised by that. Virginia's minimum wage is $12 an hour. West Virginia is $875 an hour. So let me do some real quick digging of what did I say? Georgia and Tennessee. We need to let y'all know about these two states because they're not showing up here on this news story that I'm reading from. So, Georgia, come on, keyboard. Georgia, 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 Georgia minimum wage is $7.25 an hour. Okay? I don't know why they had it at $5 or something on that website. And then lastly, Tennessee, minimum wage for the volunteer state, $7.25. Essentially, the South is at $7.25, the federal minimum wage amount, except for the more left-leaning areas of the region, which, surprise, surprise, are around Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Maryland, I think, has the highest in the Southeast at around $13 per hour. No wonder, I think I saw where the other day they they consider Maryland as one of the greatest states in in the country to live in. That's because people get paid money because of the government stuff. They still have everything else cost so much more that it might as well be minimum wage in places like that. You go get a gallon of milk in places like Maryland, you're probably paying two to three times more than you would be in Alabama. So it all comes out in the wash, or should I say, come out in the wash when it's all said and done. But yes, Florida, congratulations, as you did get a little bit more money as a result of the date on the calendar changing over and until you get to September of 2026 when you make $15 an hour. That, that would actually be more than Maryland at that point. Uh, keep on making that money, Sunshine State. Hey, the Army is looking for a few good men and a few good women, I guess. They're launching a sweeping overall of their recruiting as they're trying to focus more on young people who have spent time in college and are job hunting but can't quite land that great job. The Army Secretary said the changes would begin over the next 90 days, but a transformation is going to take several years to go forward. Army officials said the number that they're allowing the service to meet, it's required strength of 452,000 soldiers. So, again, if you're kind of looking for a new job, maybe a completely different career field, <laughs> the Army, the military could be could be your ticket. The Marine Corps is also out looking for new Marines. And the general behind that effort is Walker Field and General Field said that uh, one key to the Marine success is choosing the right recruiters and encouraging successful ones to stay on. The Marines are also repositioning recruiting stations to areas where populations have grown. I still want to know if you can 
meet all the requirements like having a high school diploma pass the physical why do they have an age restriction in our nation's military why why do they do that in fact if you listen to our third hour today Jerry Short is going to be on and he went through airborne school when he was around his mid 30s and he was considered a grandfather figure but he was still outperforming most all of the other recruits that went through airborne school he did such a good job they actually got him to start teaching being cadre for airborne he talks about all that coming up in our final hour today it's the Takapola storyteller and it's going to be airborne and a little air assault thrown in for good measure too but if you are listening to this right now and you're a youngster and you don't have your career in gear you might want to think about the United States military except when they have a government shutdown you might not get paid (laughs) but you end up getting that money at some point and at this point we're not in a major war it's a pretty good time to be in the military it really is and get all those benefits as the army at least is launching a overall of its recruiting efforts trying to reverse enlistment shortfalls they need hundreds of thousands of people on the ready all right so keep them in mind as an option moving on to other stories across the southeast so on wednesday look out because the federal emergency management agency and the fcc are going to have a nationwide test of the emergency alert system and that's going to happen on Wednesday. So you might want to silence your phone for this emergency alert that's going to be nationwide Wednesday. The message will come in on cell phones with a message that says, this is a test of the National Wireless Emergency Alert System. No action is needed. And if you get your phone set to the Spanish language settings, let me do my best Spanish I've already butchered Henry Cuellar's name today. But in Espanol, it will say, Esta es una prueba del Sistema Nacional de Alerta de Emergencia. No se necesita acción. How was that? Now, do they offer this in Portuguese? Do they offer this in Chinese? Do they offer this alert in German? How about in the Navajo language. Come on. I'm tired of them only offering stuff in Spanish. This is ridiculous. Spanish and English, all right? There are plenty of people in this country who don't have Spanish as a second language. They have other languages, or they have other languages as their first language. Oh, don't get me started, y'all. Comprende? So, again, this is a big national alert. Check it out. I don't know if there's a set time for it but it will probably be around lunchtime if I had to guess. Probably right in the middle. Okay, here we go. All right, I got a time. I got a time. I knew it I knew it'd show up here. The nationwide alert scheduled for approximately 2.20 Eastern. That would be 1.20 Central Time. Okay, so if your phone starts acting a little bizarre, you'll know it's got to do with a national alert going on 
Let me give you an alert of something from Maryland here today. Have you heard of Bill Omar Carrasquillo? He was on a YouTube channel called Ami in a Hellcat. And this guy is having his multi-million dollar collection of cars auctioned off in the state of Maryland. This YouTube star has been sentenced to a five and a half year prison term for a scheme that involved piracy of cable TV and a whole lot of other charges, including money laundering. And so, Omar is having his collection auctioned off. The Ami is a Hellcat YouTube channel. I have to admit, I have not seen this, okay? This stuff is going to be auctioned off Friday, October 13th at Baltimore's B&O Railroad Museum. And it's going to be an auction full of very, very nice cars. The U.S. Marshal Service is the property custodians for this. And I'm trying to come up with a listing of some of the items up for bid. But I do know that one of the folks here involved in this said that in the past they had a similar auction for Bernie Madoff's collection. And they say that we sold an igloo cooler for about $4,000 just because it was owned by Bernie Madoff. And so now this collection of Omni on the Hellcat has already received $1.6 million in pre-bids for his very famous car collection that he's got up for bid. And I'm still not seeing a listing of the of the items but you can maybe check this out at the auction here. It's a multi-million dollar car collection and it's going to be happening soon. I'm not enough on cars, I can't tell you, but it looks like a bunch of sports cars, okay? You'll just have to go with me. Or go to Baltimore here in a couple of days and participate in the, in the auction of a guy. Look, some of these people on YouTube, like this fella, can make a lot of change from running their mouth on YouTube. Isn't America one heck of a place? I'd I'd, I'd have to admit it after reading stories like that. We got more headlines coming up on today's Y'all Show, including in hour number three. I'm going to tell you about how some of the southern states are the stickiest states in the nation. What in the world am I talking about? You'll just have to hang around. Stick around, if you will, and we'll tell you all about it in our final hour of today's show. But we'll take this break and come back, and we've got books on our mind. It's our Southern Book Report, and we're going to let you know about one of the Dugers penning a new memoir, and it's one of the top-selling books on the New York Times bestsellers list. That's ahead. We'll actually hear from this Duger, and we'll also give you, in the hour that we have ahead of us, an entertainment report. We'll let you know about Brad Paisley, how he's giving back to Appalachia which is where he is from in West Virginia. Also, some Taylor Swift and Beyonce happenings. All that on the show that truly is about the South. We are the y'all, and we appreciate you for being along with y'all.
Wind is blowing from a new direction You're thinking about going, I know It's been a long season and hard on our affections But that's no reason to let go Sounding song from 1993, only about 30 years ago, from the Illinois State Redbird, Susie Boggess, and Just Like the Weather, a song she actually helped co-write, I think with her husband, Doug Kreider, I, I think that's who she's married to, or was married to, or is, I don't know, you can't keep track of this stuff, I know I've gone through a couple of wives since 1993, <laughs> we're back here on the Y'all Show, good to have you back here. And we're going to go from a hit maker like Susie Boggess to those who are making hits on the charts of booksellers, at least, as we have our Southern Book Report as we continue on with this Tuesday Y'all Show. Have you picked up a good book here lately? If you haven't, I'm going to tell you about some of the top reads that the New York Times has right now. Elon Musk is among them. I'll tell you where his newest book is shows up in the NYT bestsellers list. But a look at the New York Times combined print and ebook fiction category right now. Number one is the new book, Richard Osman's The Last Devil to Die. This is the fourth book in the Thursday Murder Club series. When an old friend is killed, the gang comes up against drug dealers, art forgers, and online fraudsters. The Last Devil to Die, it's the number one book in the world according to the New York Times bestsellers list. <laughs> and it's number one, The Last Devil to Die in the Fiction category. Rebecca Yaros's Fourth Wing. It's been out on the chart now about five months, and it's number two. Number three, it's been out about three weeks now, Holly from author Stephen King. As private detective Holly Gibney investigates whether a married pair of octogenarian academics had anything to do with Bonnie Dahl's disappearance. Wow, what a thriller. Holly from Stephen King. It's number three on the fiction category list right now. And number four, it's been out two months. Nashville author Ann Patchett's Tom Lake. That's the name of the, movie, the, the name of the book, Tom Lake. Three daughters who returned to their family orchard in the spring of 2020 learn about their mother's relationship with a famous actor. I bet you COVID has something to do with this book since it was set in the spring of 2020. Makes a lot of sense. Tom Lake, that is out right now. It's number four in the fiction category. And then another book that has a connection to the South as it's set in Virginia, Things We Left Behind from Lucy Score, the third book in the Knock em Out series. A mogul and a small town librarian share a dark secret from their past. Things We Left Behind. It's number five in the combined print and ebook fiction category of the New York Times bestsellers. Now, 
Moving over to the nonfiction category. The number one book in the land in the nonfiction category comes to us from Mr. Anti-South himself, Mark Levin, the Fox News host and the syndicated talk show host, has a new book out that's number one in the nonfiction category of the New York Times list. It is Mark Levin's new book, The Democrat Party Hates America. As the Fox News host, who hosts that Sunday night program, he is also the author of American Marxism, and he argues for the defeat of the Democratic Party. Now, I have not read the book. It's just come out. It debuted this week at number one in the nonfiction category. Something tells me, Mark Levin, as he always does on his talk show, something tells me that a large part of his argument while the Democratic Party is against America, goes back to the Civil War, it goes back to Reconstruction and the Jim Crow days, of which the Democrats at that time were dominated by white Southerners who were certainly not for integration. I would almost bet my left pinky that that's a big subject of Mark Levin's book. Now, Newsflash, Levin. That is irrelevant in today's world. What Democrats of yesterday... And I love history. I love telling you history. I don't shy away from it. The South was dominated by Democrats. In the post-Civil War days, all the way up till Ronald Reagan, there are still some white Southern Democrats, but they look nothing like the Democrats of the Jim Crow days. And so to try to bash Democrats just to make Republicans look great, when you start pulling history into it, come on. It's a completely ridiculous argument. I'm glad that I was not a Republican. or I would not have been a Republican supporter prior to Ronald Reagan. Well, Eisenhower was okay. But most Republicans of the 20th century you would not have supported. I've talked to many, 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 many people who grew up in different sections of the South, and they would tell me that they would go by the postmaster, who would often be a Republican in that town, and they would whisper, hey, he's a Republican. It was like a major no-no to be a Republican in the South in those days some places it might be kind of like that today to be a Democrat. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. But Mark Levin, he's got the number one book and he's got this whole shtick of bashing Democrats, but he also likes to throw the South underneath that bashing bus. And I can't stand that. And that's why it ticks me off to see he's got the number one book in America. I guess I'm just going to have to write a book. Maybe I'll title mine, Mark Levin Hates the South. Mark Levin is an idiot. Or maybe I just should forget about that guy, that fast-talking Philadelphia guy, and just come out with a whole new line of books. Because it seems like writing books is the way to go when you start to want to start making that money. Now, Elon Musk has done pretty well without having to write books, but a book about him is the number two book on the New York Times bestseller list, 
The book is called Elon Musk, and it is penned by Walter Isaacson. The author of The Code Breaker traces Elon Musk's life from South Africa to this country, and it summarizes his work on electric vehicles, private space exploration, and artificial intelligence. Elon Musk is number two on the New York Times nonfiction list right now. Astor is also new this week, and CNN's Anderson Cooper wrote this alongside Catherine Howe. The authors of Vanderbilt chronicle the Astor family's place in American society from 1793 to 2009. Astor, new this week from Anderson Cooper. How about that? Anderson, whose mother was Gloria Vanderbilt. His daddy was from Quitman, Mississippi. Quite a difference there (laughs) between Quitman and being a Vanderbilt. It might explain why Anderson ain't exactly firing on all cylinders at times but he's got the book hey how about that way to go Anderson Cooper David Gron by the way speaking of anchors I had a celebrity sighting of a TV network anchor just the other day as I saw former Fox and now I guess he's on CNBC I don't know where he is and he almost was unrecognizable because he's got kind of a crew cut now but I saw Shepard Smith walking the streets of Oxford on Friday in his, to quote Ed Orgeron, sissy blue t-shirt. There you have it. Number three is Anderson Cooper's book. Astor number four is David Gron's Killers of the Flower Moon. It's been out nearly two years on the New York Times bestseller list. And then coming in this week at number five, this one's been out a few weeks, Counting the Cost by Jill Duger with Derek Dillard and Craig Borlase. Now, Jill Duger is of the Duger family of Arkansas, and this book is a behind-the-scenes account of the reality TV series 19 Kids and Counting, and it is a portrayal of life inside the Duger family, a much-chronicled family, and the controversy within that family more. And this book, written by Jill Duger in some circles. She goes by her married name of Jill Duger Dillard. Check it out, if you will. It's number five on the New York Times bestsellers list. And we actually have some audio of Jill that we just found as she has gone on ABC on the Nightline program. And she got interviewed by Juju Chang of ABC News discussing this new memoir. So let's go in and hear Arkansan Jill Duger talking about her new book and more on the y'all show southern book report 19 kids and counting the show that made the family a fortune was canceled after the shocking headlines came to light tasked with damage control jill says she and her sister jessa felt they had to give an interview to fox news to protect the family brand it was like okay we need you to like fall in line here and do these interviews for the show go here do this thing and that thing to kind of like rally the troops and get it back together. Jess and I were talking, we're like, oh my goodness, the most of the stuff out there is lies. It's not true. Mm-hmm. And so for truth's sake, we want to come out and set the record straight. I was surprised to read that Josh was in the room. Yeah. Off camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you see in that 24-year-old girl who's talking? 
I didn't want to be there. I wanted to help my parents, and I felt like I was the only one who could do this. I was the only one who could fill that role. TLC kept the lucrative Duggar franchise going without Josh, launching that new series called Jill and Jessa Counting On. But Derek and Jill say they wanted to start their own lives, free from the television cameras. When we weren't complying with the Jill and Jessa script, it was... Um, threatened us, like, do you all want to come home and everyone to know that this show is canceled because of you? Jill also says small acts of independence, such as wearing pants and getting a nose ring, were met with hostility. Anyone who is making decisions for themselves that the parents don't give their blessing, that's seen as rebellious. Eventually, the couple stopped filming altogether, breaking with the family. Watching the way that my parents kind of, um, protected my brother, um, but then used me and some of my sisters. It was hard, and it's still hard to swallow. There's like one point where I call my dad out about it, and I just say, like, you treat me worse than you treat my brother, my pedophile brother. That's got to be painful. It's, yeah, it is. Wow. Okay, that is Jill Duggar talking about her brother who of course was charged with being a pedophile in arkansas and she's been opening up about her family and more and if you want to open up a book about the duggar family you can find the new book counting the cost at your favorite bookseller again jill duggar dillard and her hubby Derek, penning this alongside craig borlace in this behind the scenes account of the 19 kids and counting tv show I think I'll be skipping past this one. <laughs> I've never seen that series. And there are, you know, the Duggars are an example of maybe we should have limits on birthing. You know, we should have, uh, maybe everybody should have the joy of having at least one kid, but come on, 19? 19? No, 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 19. <laughs> That's an old song from way back. Uh, yeah, check it out. If you would like a, a book, it's number five on the bestsellers list of nonfiction, Counting the Cost, and it's out right now. And I appreciate ABC News for tracking down Jill and having that interview on Nightline with Juju Chang, the interviewee that you heard there. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we're going to keep the entertainment talk going as we have an entertainment report to close out hour number two. We have some Taylor Swift and Beyonce info to pass along and brad paisley is going to be helping out the mountain state and other states that are in appalachia all that is coming up as we have more of the y'all show Hey 
Houston kids singing here on the Y'all Show, Beyonce, and she and Taylor Swift, according to an article on CNN.com, she and Taylor could save movie theaters because they're going to have concerts on the big screen as Taylor Swift will soon have her Eras tour out. That debuts October 13th, and then Beyonce is going to kind of do the same with her Renaissance World Tour as it's going to hit theaters in December. Get your halo on at a theater in December, y'all. Okay, so movie theaters now turning into concert venues. That seems to be... It's going to definitely be the trend if, indeed, Taylor Swift blows it out as we expect her to do in a couple of days with the arrival of the Eros tour. Hmm. I guess this this is partially done by the fact that the writer strike happened and the actor strike continuing. Or maybe it's just good business. Maybe it's because you can't actually get a ticket to see Taylor Swift and or Beyonce in concert because they're in such high demand. Now, if only Beyonce would start showing up at NFL football games and cheering for somebody. She doesn't have to show up for the Houston Texans right there in her home area. They're doing pretty well. Way to go, Houston and their rookie quarterback, who's helped lead them to a couple of big victories. Looked pretty good this past Sunday. The Texans in their red helmets. Almost had to do a double check when I saw the highlights. Now, another story of interest perhaps because this young lady has a connection to the south emma roberts her daddy is from georgia her aunt is from georgia that would be julia roberts but restraint is a seldom word used in connection with american horror story and that evidently is something that's going to be happening with american horror story delicate that's going to star emma roberts in it the 12th edition of this american horror story will have this actress and there is a Kim Kim Kardashian is also appearing in this thing Uh, that's scary enough with Kardashian in a movie it's a FX series called uh, Delicate and you can check it out if you get a chance Emma Roberts in American Heart Story Delicate is the 12th edition of this franchise and it is uh, out just in time for Halloween. Again, scary enough, but then you mix in Kim Kardashian into the fun lookout. Brad Paisley is opening up with a new music video that highlights the beauty and struggle in Appalachia. So check this out. Son of the Mountains, the first four tracks available now. And it again is a salute to his 
area that he grew up in, the mountain state of West Virginia, and also the fact that it's a real-life video and more about how tough life is in, in Appalachia. So again, check it out here as this new project from Brad Paisley's Son of the Mountains is available to learn more about his background. And that wraps up our entertainment headlines. That wraps up Hour 2 of the Y'all Show. More coming up. We're back with the final hour of the Tuesday Y'all Show. Got a lot of stuff to cover. Got Jerry Short, the Takapola storyteller, coming by. He's already told me he's going to talk about airborne, airborne and air assault. If you have ever served in the United States military, you probably know all about the importance of jump wings. And Jerry's going to kind of walk us through that process. And for those who are like me, a little bit scared of being in planes and looking out being high up on things oh lord i don't know if i can handle this one go get me a air sickness bag before we start talking about jumping out of planes but we're going to do that in the next segment as our storyteller is back jerry short and before this hour is up with the arrival of october we got leaves everywhere and leaves were on our mind when our producers here at the y'all show came up with the idea to talk about eating leaves so eating tree leaves we found an article at nutritionstudies.org and we're going to walk through that healthy tree leaves this could be a game changer for some of you out there so we'll talk about all that later in the program the y'all show is available in podcast form we encourage you to find us on spotify on TuneIn, as well as we're also on iHeartRadio, and we're on apple Podcasts and apple itunes Y'all show us how you search for us, and we're also posted each and every day at yall.com. Y'all.com is where the Y'all show can be found, too, in addition to other great stories and other great features of the South available for absolutely free. You can go read all that at y'all.com. Let's jump into a few headlines before we welcome in the Taka Polo Storyteller into the next segment. Nationwide, it is uh, eyes on New York City today. Donald Trump has this civil trial going on about his potential business fraud. And he, of course, Monday went out full throat against the Attorney General of the state of New York. And it's funny, I just mentioned he went full throat on her, Letitia James, because her response was that her office is going to be going for Trump's jugular in this case about how the Trump organization inflated numbers, hid numbers, did things. Why is this coming out now? Trump's been a businessman in New York for 50 years. And to my knowledge, never has had this kind of big-time trial about his Trump organization. And a lot of these supposed things that went on within his organization happened well before he went into politics. Why is it happening now? Hmm, I wonder... I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. 
We'll keep our eye out. Trump's in court today for day two of this civil trial going on in Manhattan. Elsewhere, Washington, D.C., on Monday, Matt Gates filed a resolution to oust Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. There have been some bad words exchanged between these two guys in the last 24 hours, and I just saw something that it looks like there's about five members of Congress who are going to be voting to oust Republican members who are voting to have a House Speaker change, and that may be the magic number needed to kick Kevin McCarthy out if Matt Gates has been able to bring along a few others for the ride. They're going to be having on Tuesday afternoon some kind of big vote about this. Also, Hunter Biden has pleaded not guilty to gun charges, a story developing here today. So bunches and bunches of news nationwide going on today. We'll keep you posted as best we can on the y'all show about all this stuff. All right, let's go to a story that has to do with several southern states. And several of our southern states are considered the stickiest states in the nation. Are you a sticky state? The U.S. News and World Report recently cited analysis by the Federal Reserve of Dallas in its ranking of states that have kept the highest share of native residents from moving away. And this was based on the Census Bureau's American Community Survey, and it determined the numbers by calculating the share of people born in each state who still live there as of 2021. States with the highest percentages of those considered sticky, meaning the states have residents that stick around. Are you a sticky person? Now, we've got the breakdown again of the stickiest states in the land and the number one sticky state is in the south texas is a top 10 stickiest state it is the stickiest state of them all 82 percent of the respondents in this u.s census bureau thing indicated that they were born in texas and they're sticking around texas 82 percent in the lone star state North Carolina came in at number two. 75% of the respondents in North Carolina were born born and reared in the old North State. Georgia had 74%. Oddly enough, California was at 73%. Utah came in at 72 Florida was at 72 That's surprising. As a lot of people moved to Florida, but I guess... It's a big state. Got a lot of people. Wisconsin is at 72%. South Carolina is right at 71%. That's also the number that Alabama has in its sticky rate. And then Michigan comes in at 71%. So that brings the question, if those are the stickiest states, then who are the least sticky states in the land? States that people are ready to get the heck out of, the people responding only certain percentage of them were born and reared in those states and I'm looking at the numbers and we only have one southern state showing up in the least sticky states list that's West Virginia only 55% of of was the number for West Virginia people said they were born and raised when asked so West Virginians moving moving away it looks like The least sticky state in the country, Wyoming. 
beautiful place, but evidently if you're in Wyoming, you grow up there, more than half of you decide to get the heck out of there. North Dakota was at 48%, Alaska at 48% as well. Hawaii had 58%. Who would want to leave Hawaii? Hmm. Aloha, y'all. <laughs> and that again, a list of the stickiest states in the country. The Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas helped come up with those numbers. And we are glad to share with you the results of that. And glad you're sticking around the Y'all Show, where we have 100%. Those of you who listen to our show, keep on listening. And we sure, sure appreciate it. When we come back, it's our Takapola storyteller. He's going to put on his jump boots and his his, his little silver wings, and he's going to come in here and talk about being in the United States Special Forces and going through jump school and being in the Airborne or Airborne Qualified. It's going to be a fun topic, and it is up next here, Jerry Short. Hey, we're back on Y'all Talk with an Accent on All Things Southern on a Tuesday. I'm John Rawl, now joined by our Takapola storyteller, the one and the only Jerry Short. How you doing, Jerry? Boy, I am doing good, Chapo. Glad to be home. I've been away a while back. I don't know. Yeah, I told we, you. we are glad we're, that you're back. Jerry, we, uh, we know you're a guy that likes to soar high. You, well, you aim high and so high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. But I wanted to talk to you because you're a guy who has jumped out of planes many, many, many times as yeah. an airborne guy. 77. Air, air assault, too? Air assault, also. Yes, sir. Go Army. But also, you have done some crazy things in your professional career, like climbing trees and going up yeah, high. I've done and, that. And here on today's Y'all Show, we're going to talk about climbing and heights and more, if that's okay. I get a little scared even bringing the subject up. I have grown to be afraid of heights as I've gotten older. Well, that, I was a little bit shaky on heights. Even though I loved the dang, I kind of got a high from climbing fire towers when I was really young. Yeah. And I'd walk that little rail around it and hold on. Mm, what an idiot. I, however, you know, later on, that's really why I decided to go airborne. I went airborne when I was 33 years old. I was the oldest person at Fort Benning, Georgia. Used to be Fort Benning, Georgia. I think the government changed its name. Recently, but I'm still yeah. calling it Fort Benning. I am, too. And uh, they thought I was so old when I was at Fort Benning at 33 at Airborne School. They uh, put me in charge of the female barracks <laughs> because they thought I could do no damage at 33. And could you? That's for a different story and a different time. <laughs> okay. So you're 33 years old. I mean, surely it had to hurt. You know, it didn't me because I was in great shape. I'd been running marathons and I'd been running 6Ks and 10Ks. So I was, uh, and I did a lot of push-ups and set-ups. And then I knew a year in advance when I joined that uh, Special Forces unit. I knew it was going to take a year before they could get me hooked up in a in airborne school. 
Did so, they put you in special forces before you were even airborne qualified? Yeah, I'd already qualified in about 15 other things. I'd already been fire directional control as computing fire for howlers, mm-hmm. you know, at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. I'd already been a forward observer, you know, and, I, and I'd done all that. I'd been a cook. Oh, that's very yeah, important. Yeah, I'd been a cook. And uh, I'd done, you know, I'd been assistant mess sergeant. And uh, then it hit me, you know, I've done all this, but I hadn't really done anything exciting. So uh, I'd I, say daredevil, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Someone would give you that rush that you're looking for. You know, if you'd been kind of raised like me, you know, my daddy could get put a rush on me before I knew it. So I, I, I kind of got used to that situation. So uh, I, I decided I, I went and joined that Special Forces unit where they could send me to airborne school. But uh, once I got over there, they let us uh, fly and watch people jump. And they was having to hand paper bags to people to throw up in constantly. And they would all wash up before they ever went to airborne school. Now, when you go to airborne... Just by watching? Just by watching people come out of the airplane. I know we jumped over to uh, Montgomery, Alabama at Maxwell Air Base, and I wasn't airborne qualified yet. But... Uh, they jump. They was jumping then. That was in in seventies, the early mid seventies. They were jumping a, a plane called a Caribou, and you had to jump out the rear of it. And it looked like you were water skiing, really. And a team of men could go out the backside of it. So whoever would be in there, maybe a new guy like I would be, and they would have us watching how it was done, and watching what to do and how to do it and when to yeah. jump. And uh, and say, oh, I will, I will, I will get you. Have, hand me a paper, hand me, hand me, a, hand me a sack or something. And they'd throw up and then they'd say, you know, I don't think this is for me. You know, they'd take you to try to get you to know what it was going to be like. And when you get to airborne school, you know, I probably started with a class of uh, 200 and let's say 60 of us graduated, maybe, from airborne school. Because that many will wash up. They'll wash you up over a little of nothing. And the hardest thing about airborne school is, and you think this, now you've seen Benning, you've seen the 250-foot towers. They've got three of those. And uh, you do that, that simulates jumping. What it does, it, it pulls up a parachute, and it, a parachute opens, and you descend 250 feet to the ground, which they've usually got sand under it at Benning, if they still do it the same way. But uh, anyway... Uh, you get where you're kind of uh, used to that kind of thing by the time you get to that part. Before that part, you get a little bit shaky because somebody will come in in a cast every day. You'll look up and you'll say, what happened to him? Oh, he broke his leg on that ju- on that third jump or that fourth jump. And that was a real real injury, not a... Oh, no, it wasn't a fake deal. Fake deal. That'd be real injuries. Yeah, it'd be, real, it'd, be, it'd be the real deal. And uh, so, you know, once you got over there, but I had done so much. I did so many push-ups before then, and I'd do sit-ups. I know they come through the barracks when I was in another unit, and I was doing 2,000 sit-ups one night. What a crazy and idiot. They went on to the uh, shower, and they come back through. as a couple of guys that they had hired for KP, and they're lawyers today. One of them said something to me not too long ago. <laughs> he was a kid then, and he said, Man, sorry, sir, we come through there, and you was doing sit-ups, and we went to the shower and shaved and come back. And you hadn't stopped. They were still <laughs> counting them all. So uh, I was in shape. So really. And uh, just so you know, he's not quite that 
ship shape right no. now. One one setup would be probably difficult right now, but uh, but we love him and. But I'm seven. Bottom line, a lot of people couldn't have done what you did any time in their life. No, I know, because they didn't. And uh, you know, I saw it happen to a lot of people that really wanted it. The the worst uh, fa- fallout that I saw at Benning, you do a thing when you run, you call it the airborne shuffle, because when you're coming out of the aircraft at uh, 120 knots or whatever at uh, 1,200 feet is about a good average jump. Sometimes you jump a little higher, but usually usually at uh, airborne school it's 1,200-foot jumps and 1,200-foot elevation jumps. And uh, we had a guy, his daddy was a colonel, and he had been a, he had been, uh, a uh, paratrooper, and he wanted his son to be that. Well, he had already washed up. You can wash up once. And then they'll let you come back in a year later. Well, he was back a year later. And uh, his his fault was he could not tolerate. He thought he was such a runner. He could not, because we had to run seven miles before breakfast. And then we run seven miles after breakfast. And then we did PT in between those two. Mm. And then we ran that night. And then, <laughs> and, but, but anyway... So if you couldn't run, you was in trouble. You thought that was the worst thing. But my worst thing, and this sounds really simple, but let me tell you about the guy. He got out, he got out there, and he would not do the, uh, when we were doing the air, uh, the shuffle, yeah, the airborne shuffle. The airborne shuffle. Yeah, and that's kind of, you're kind of sliding your feet, but you're still moving at a pretty good pace on that seven-mile run, which by doing that shuffle, it makes it actually harder than if you were running. But we had the guy that he refused to uh, do the shuffle, and he had already been kicked out for this. So he took off and just left us and went running. So they kicked him out for good. Now, I don't know what his general colonel or whatever he was, father thought about that or if he ever got him back in. But uh, anyway, he was done. What's the reason of the airborne shuffle? Airborne shuffle is what you do when if you're sitting in an aircraft and you're getting ready to make a jump and you're flying. And they say, you know, the jump master will say, which I went to jump master school. That's pretty tough, too. But they'll say, uh, okay, uh, starboard up. And he'll raise his hands up, you know, inboard up, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you stand up. And what you've got, you've got your parachute on, but you're not hooked up yet. And they got a static line that runs through the top of the aircraft. Mm-hmm. You hook it up. And then they'll say, hook up, buffalo, buckle up, shuffle, shuffle to, to the, the door. door. Yeah. So you shuffle to the door. Stand in the door. Go. And uh, you had a lot of people that get to that door, and they wouldn't want to go, and they'd try not to go. But a drill sergeant, if he could, he'd go ahead and sling you out. Go or no go. If you go that far, I've seen a lot of them pushed out. And uh, you got to make five jumps to be qualified as airborne. Usually it's that first one that people are scared to do it. Well, you know... I can't, you hit the ground so hard when you're coming down. It's not like a skydiver. It's got a shoot on. It's got him just floating down so soft and hitting the ground like he's in a feather bed. Mm. You're coming out with an army chute, and that's one reason you got to do what I was going to say a while ago. Pull-ups was the hardest thing I had to do, but you had to do nine pull-ups, or you couldn't qualify. You'd wash out, and a pull-up would be when you were on a chin and bar. They would, uh, the drill sergeant would get under you and look at you, and your feet could not swing, move, or anything. That pull-up had to pull your whole body up. 
So that's one reason airborne guys, a littler guy, has got a better chance. There I was. I was weighing 214, and I'm 6'1". I had to pull up 214 pounds nine times without even flexing anything to get it up to count. And they look at you, and they make sure that chin goes over that bar, and then you go back down. So if you don't do nine of them, you're out. you washed up. So that was my hardest thing. So anyway, when we would uh, jump out of the aircraft, uh, you know, the first or second jump, you know, the first jump, they had a little saying that says, uh, you know, they would tell you, always do this when you jump out, say, uh, open open my canopies. And that is check and see if my canopy's open, your parachute is open. And I forgot to say canopies or anything. I was already hitting the ground before I knew it. And they got, when you hit the ground, there's four different ways to hit the ground. You do, they're called PLFs parachute landing falls okay and you do a left right front and rear and you got to do them all different and the way you do you form your body into a position that keeps that plf from the fleshy part all hits the ground first okay and uh so if if you don't do it that way how do you know which one to do well you you'll know by the wind and you'll know by where you are and you have to constantly look uh horizontally straight ahead do not look down if you look at your feet you can see the ground coming up at you because you're dropping at nine miles an hour let it plus whatever the wind velocity is so it's it's to deploy you to the ground before the enemy can shoot you in the air they want you on the ground quick as they can get you on the ground they figured to you know they've come to the term that nine miles an hour out of an airplane but to do the pull-ups you know they later they got toggle oh, that they was able to pull toggles on your chute on your risers but on your risers you had to grab three or four risers from each side and pull them against your chest mm-hmm. to move up and that what that does is open the canopy in the back of your chute it'll turn it a certain way and the air will blow you in the direction that you want to go if you're, you know, if you want, if you're looking horizontally out there, and you see, wait, there's a barbed wire fence and a tree that I'm gonna come on at another dang 300 or 400 feet. So you do that pull and push away from it. So if you don't do that, you're liable to hit the tree. You're liable to hit the barbed wire if you're not jumping it. That's after you get qualified. At first, the drop zone is usually plowed up and in good shape, and then the golden knights put wings on you. And, that's always a great moment if you can make five. Well, I hurt I hurt my uh, ankle on my third jump, and they check you out real close before you get on that aircraft to make that fourth jump to make sure you're not hurt. And uh, so I had one that saw me kind of limp a little bit down at, on the tarmac before we would lay on the tarmac with the parachute on us before we'd go get in the aircraft. And uh, he was looking, and he says, Hey, Airborne, come here. You want to be Airborne? I said, yeah. He said, run to that door right down there. And you see that door, and it looked like it was about 50 yards away. When you get down there, you turn immediately and come straight back to me at attention and stand up. Well, all the way down there, I'm running, and you got to make sure that you don't turn on that bad ankle. Because if you turn on that bad ankle, you're liable to show some pain. Well, I get right up in his face, and he's looking at me. 
see if he sees any tears in your eyes or anything. And he says, you okay? And I say, yeah. Now, they watch for that. They don't want to get anybody hurt. And uh, I found out later, if you got three jumps in, you could get your last two at your home duty station and uh, be airborne qualified. But I went on and got my two in. I got that so one were in. were you really in a lot of pain? Oh, yeah, man. My ankle was black, and you couldn't. They told me over there, them young boys, the average age is 19, and I was 33. And uh, <laughs> and I was in charge of the barracks, and I come out, you know, and I had a room all by myself where they was all bunked up together, you know. But I come out, and they said, Sergeant Short, I know you're trying to walk in, and you do to us. You walk in the image of John Wayne. <laughs> but, however, you need to have that ankle checked. It's black and blue all over, and you can't hardly walk over here when we're in our off time after our uh, final dinner of the night. And uh, I said, I'll make it. And uh, so that fifth jump. Were y'all not also running at this time, seven miles and seven miles? No, we, we did that seven-mile run, and then we'd come in. Now, on that seven-mile run, you know, a, a drill sergeant would run along with you, but they usually run backwards, and they'd be hollering, two, four, six, eight. I want to go to Vietnam. I want to kill some Viet Cong, or I want to go to Mozambique. I want to kill a commie freak, or yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. they're running along doing well, all that. Well, what's what you're saying here? Well, that's all legal. The <laughs> army did it. The army did it then, but I bet they can't do it now. We're, we're by the way th- visiting with Sergeant Short, A.K.A. Jerry Short, the Takapola storyteller here. On the y'all show, I, I I feel like I'm going through airborne school. Well, you are, and you know it's something you need to do. You know, I was 33. That's about what you are now. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, I'd hate to made it much older than that, but. Uh, but how, how did you make seven miles uh, running with uh, I made awful it, ankle? Uh, I made the, the seven mile run just with tears in my eyes that no one could see, and I was on the front because I was a platoon leader, and. Uh, and so I was, the drill sergeant usually would run about middle of the pack backwards as he called the cadets as, as we ran, you know. So they weren't really looking in my face as much. And you have to do that shuffle so you don't have to pick that foot up really high. You know, you kind of pick it up about six, eight inches, and then it's back down and you shuffle it and you pick it back up. But you're running at a pretty good pace and you're running at a lot of days. It's taking a lot of energy to do it. But anyway, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Sounds like and, my uh, kind of time. I went through a military college, and at that time, a lot of my friends went off to airborne school. Yeah. They were 19 years old. That's the average age. And yeah. they, almost all of them, as far as I know, went through it with no problems. And then the next summer, they went through air assaults. Well, I know you're a lot younger than I am. It got easier and easier. Uh-huh. I was over there one time uh, when they had the Olympics. And I don't even remember what year that was. Okay, so let's say from from uh, seventy eight to ninety six, it looked like a Boy Scout camp. The difference. Yeah, and I I stopped on the hill. I was covering. I was doing sports, and I was the baseball SEC baseball uh, that year was down at uh, Fort Benning because that's where they had the baseball field for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a, a sports editor with me. I said, "Let's go up on the hill." I want to look down at this uh, airborne training school down there by the Pathfinder headquarters where they do the PT. So I look off down there. These guys are taking a break. Really? They're sitting down. I'd never had a break in my whole airborne career. Wow. And uh, then I, all of a sudden he looked at me and I, I started screaming, 
Airborne, get up. Get up, you lazy, sorry, dang, blah, blah, blah. Get up, Airborne, Airborne. And he said, are you crazy? I said, no, I can't stand to look at these guys that have it so easy compared to how hard we had it. Now, I can imagine how hard my daddy and them had it, you know. Was he Airborne? My uncle was. Okay. And uh, he talked, we talked a lot about it. And uh, as a matter of fact, he got POW in World War II and a massive jump after Normandy. But uh, Operation Varsity? Yeah. He was in that. The one across uh, the uh, Rhine? The one across the Rhine, yeah. Yeah, he was in Operation Varsity, yeah. which my great uncle, my great great uncle in my case, my one great uncle, was killed in the Battle of the Bulge, and he was a part of the 17th Airborne mm. Division. Oh, he was a 17. 17. My daddy was in the Bulge, but he was, he was the infantry. Right, that's and, uh, who my son is named after, my great uncle. Well, that's, that's good. But you did he make it through. Family. You did make it through. And we are proud of you, Mr. Uh, Airborne. I'm just a dirty, nasty leg, Jerry. That's what we called y'all. And Anybody that doesn't have airborne wings. That's right. But, is a uh, dirty, nasty leg. That's what we'd call you when you was training, and you'd be we'd still be training, but we could we could holler out to you, "Hey, you dirty, nasty leg." Yeah, you know, I've blah, been blah, called blah. that a lot by a guy who <laughs> had gone through airborne school. He but called I, me that a lot. But I never let any of that stuff. I never thought about that as doing anything special. I was just doing something that I really wanted to do. You know, that was a, that was like going to a carnival okay. and riding a doggone Ferris wheel. Okay. You know? If that yeah. suits you. Hey, let's uh, fast forward a couple of decades. So, if you had to go climb, let's say, a tree or something high today, oh, what, what is your thought process on heights today? A guy who's jumped out of many a plane. Well, you know... The only thing that bothers me today is at 77 years old, I'm not as I'm not the same person that I once was, and uh, I think I could be injured. You know, I've had my knees broken jumping out of airplane. I've I've had a knee replacement, and uh, I've had ankle uh, fractures. I've had them, you know, sprain. But out of a tree, um, I tell you. Uh, example of a tree. I worked one time. Uh, I worked for a company called uh, W.S. Young out of New Orleans. After Hurricane Betsy, and they had to put all the telephone poles back in, and they would double them going down the Grand Isle down Bayou Lafourche, mm-hmm. and they would double them as they went down through there, and they would put a big bands around them, and you'd have to climb up. Well, that was the first thing they try to teach you. you. You could borrow their climbers and take them home with you, and uh, on weekends, you could climb some old railroad track where the poles still are, and you learn how to climb. So I learned how to climb. So, uh, and in the Army, you know, we also had commo wire that they had to hang up. So we have a commo section that's hanging up a commo wire. You know what commo wire is? It's just like a bell telephone in this day. Communication Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so uh, you had you had climbers for that. Well, I borrowed some climbers, you know, I'd... I tell people, you know, I could just, you got a problem with that tree. Yeah, that tree's, that limb's going to break and fall on my house. And it was on a high hill, the highest hill in this town. And uh, he said, I said, I'll get that for you. I'll borrow those from the National Guard, the climbers. But I didn't borrow a belt. I borrowed the climbers. And when I got uh, to do it, I carried a couple of chainsaws with me because <laughs> I was running. Well, I was running. I had 13 chainsaws. Okay. And they were all steels. So I had a steel 041, a steel 050. Okay, I'm going to double-check this. Yeah, you can double. 
Still 031, 3 best steel chainsaws that I used on those logging jobs. So uh, anyway, you need to, you need a belt. You need to tie them on with some ropes. You need a seat clamp like you use when you're repelling out of a helicopter. I've done a lot of that. You tie that seat thing, you make a Swiss seat, and you put it around you. Well, you need to make one of those and put it around you, and then put a rope around it and then put it around a tree, where if you should fall down the tree, you know, you'll be caught against the tree. You may get bark all over you and it's all skinned up, but you're not going to just fall to the ground and get killed. Yeah. Well, I didn't have that. I was I was a big shot. I carried this uh, steel uh, 041 up in one hand, and uh, I climbed with the other hand, and I got up you top. You climbed a tree with just your one arm? One, one arm. I climbed a tree. How high? Oh, gosh, it was probably 70 feet to the top where I cut it off. And uh, so I got up there, and I was wore out by the time I got up there. I could imagine. So I didn't want anybody. And I was getting a little older then. And... Uh, no, I really wasn't. That was before Airborne School. I was really young. I was probably about 32 or 3 or 4. Ah. And so uh, I got up there, and I looked out across the horizon, and I could see the whole town. I was so high. I was on, His house was on the highest hill in that town, I believe, and you could see the whole town. And then I looked across there. I said to myself, what am I doing up here? But I've got to do this because I told the guy I could do it, you know. wouldn't be any problem for me. So I, I take that saw, and I hold it with one hand, and I cut limbs off that needed to be cut off. And uh, I had some rope tied around my belt, and I would tie that to the tree below me, where when it would fall, it'd fall against the tree. Mm. And uh, so coming down, I had to cut those things loose. But uh, I cut them loose with a chain, so I didn't worry about saving the, uh, saving the rope. But uh, I was up there looking across that, and, and I didn't think I was going to get down. So let me just tell anybody who wants to climb and want to do any tree surgery to a tree, and if you've got a limb looking out over your house, and I know it's going to cost you big money to get it done this day and time because those guys, they've got the equipment, but they're still a little dangerous. I'd say beyond a little dangerous probably. But uh, I didn't really know if I would get down or not, but I would have never told anybody. But you're talking about a breath of fresh air. When I breathed and hit that ground, <laughs> I was one happy son of a gun. Golly. A lesson learned there. Our tree-climbing, airborne, jumping-out-of-plane hero, <laughs> Sergeant No hero. Short. No hero. Just well, doing things I enjoy. All right. And you, okay. and you got those silver wings. Yeah, I got those, man. And, or, or isn't that what they're called? Yeah. Wings of Glory? Or? Yeah, I never, when they put them on me, they had those, uh, 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 what I call them earlier, they were the uh, parachuting uh, team for the U.S. Army. The Golden Knights? Golden Knights, yeah. And they came in, and they dropped down. And I'd made a big mistake. My uniform, I, I already had Special Forces on Ooh. them. And they looked at me, and they said, Oh, Special Forces Airborne now, huh? Okay, and he took them, and he takes the little back ends off of the wings, you yeah. know. And he set them right there on my chest, and he slapped them. He said, blood wings. And they, those little old points went in your little chest a little bit and might have drew a little blood, but they loved to call them blood wings on you. If you had been in, or if you were, if you were going to that type unit, yeah. if you weren't in infantry or something like that, if you were an Airborne Special Forces. 
they wanted they called them blood wings so i enjoyed getting my blood wings. again i can't relate i'm just a dirty nasty leg <laughs> oh, jerry on. always great to talk to you and uh We'll see what we do next time we get uh, together. Sounds good to me. I'm Mr. Blood Wings himself. Airborne. Yeah, there you go. More of the All Show is coming right up, so stay tuned to the show that's all about the South, y'all. So you're standing in the middle of the thunder and lightning I know you're feeling like you just can't win But you're trying It's hard to keep on keeping on When you're being pushed around Don't even know which way is up just keep spinning down, round, down Every storm runs, runs out of rain Just like every dark night turns into day Every heartache will fade away Just like every storm runs, runs out of rain Tell yourself that there's something more And walk out that door Go find a new rose Don't be afraid of the thorns Cause we all have thorns Just put your feet up to the edge Put your face in the wind And when you fall back down Keep on remembering We have reached the end of this Tuesday Y'all Show. Thank you for being along with us as we've had plenty of discussion from our Takapola storyteller there the last couple of minutes here talking about going to airborne school and more to all the news out of Washington, D.C. today. And the latest on that is if you haven't checked your news, it looks like going to be a, there's going to be a vote about whether Kevin McCarthy can hang on as a House Speaker. That's coming up later on this Tuesday it is officially October, and if you haven't gone outside lately, you may not have noticed that there are leaves everywhere. Leaves. I'm seeing things that look like apples fall off of trees. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful time of year, but it can be a messy time of year. And leaves happen to be the subject of which we're going to talk about as we leave you for this Tuesday Y'all Show. The Center for Nutrition Studies has come out with an article that I found at the website nutritionstudies.org and it is a titled article written by Josh Wayne Three Trees with Edible and Nutritious Leaves so yeah if you've got leaves coming down right now in your yard check out and see if you have any of these trees because they could be leaves that you could fire up and have for supper tonight so if you have an American basswood tree for example you can use the leaves from it as it is located 
east of the Rocky Mountains here in the southeast, you might be able to have a basswood tree and a lot of uses for basswood leaves. You can use them in a salad. You can eat them raw. And they are, uh, again, from what many people say, quite enjoyable. <laughs> the, the the basswood tree, okay? That's, that's one option. And then if you're really looking for something to spice things up, you have here in the southeast the sassafras leaves. And it is an edible part of the tree that you can find here in the southeast. You can harvest this this time of year, the sassafras tree, but it's also available to be harvested in spring and summer. Sassafras tastes great in a salad, or if you dehydrate it, it can be used as a soup thickener. I remember as a child, we used to have sassafras tea made from sassafras leaves. And the story was always, well, that's what the American Indians would have to drink, would be sassafras tea. But you can actually eat sassafras leaves. Make sure, though, when you're out there harvesting these things in the yard, that indeed it is a sassafras and not some kind of other tree leaf that uh, will put you in the hospital, okay? So that's, again, a great option here. In addition, sassafras, in addition to the American basswood tree. The final tree worth checking out is the mulberry tree. Did you realize that you can eat this if you've got a mulberry tree out in the yard? You can harvest mulberry leaves in the spring, summer, and fall. Just like these other leaves, you can eat them raw in a salad. Or also, you can dehydrate mulberry leaves and put in soup as a mulberry should be quite quite delicious and it might not produce a mulberry tree the most fruit compared with asian varieties but in america it does produce large enough fruit and very large leaves you know i'd hate i'd I'd, i would have to hate to uh, rake a yard that's got mulberry trees all over it fresh mulberry leaves can be cooked and consumed in a salad or they can be dehydrated and used for teas or soups. You can also use mulberry leaves to make dolmas instead of grape leaves. One of the best perks to knowing how to identify a mulberry tree is getting to enjoy the mulberries that come in late spring and in early summer. So the leaves, not only on the tree, but you've got the mulberry fruit. And how about that? So we've got some edible leaves going on across the southeast right now before you go burning up leaves or taking them to the dump you know they could make for a tasty meal or at least a tasty salad and right now this time of year where the leaves are falling keep in mind the mulberry the sassafras and the american basswood as leaves to put into the mouth and enjoy now that would make honey quite happy if you could tell her you know i didn't have to run down to the grocery store for tonight's salad i just went out there and got some leaves out of the out of the lawn and put it here in the salad bowl and yummy let's eat all right (laughs) again thank you to the website nutritionstudies.org for the info and you can go learn a lot more about edible leaves on this website as i said we're going to leave you now And we'll be back here on Wednesday as we'll be raking up plenty of great Southern conversation on this here, The Y'all Show. I'm John Rawl. Have a great rest of your Wednesday or Tuesday, and we will see you on Wednesday.